Hello! Welcome to Fave This, a podcast about fandom and internet culture, and also video games. I'm Gita Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by... Patricia Hernandez. It's Patricia Hernandez, everyone. She's here, <laughs> as always. Um, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm now thinking about Harry Potter, because we were just talking about it a little bit before the podcast started. This whole... So I stopped reading slash watching after, like, the fourth book, and you're, like, a mega fan. You just yeah. wrote this big piece about uh, shipping and, and Severus. Okay, so... I wrote a piece about the Shoebox Project, which is a seminal Harry Potter fan fiction for the Sirius and Remus uh, fic. And so uh, those are a bunch of words that to Harry Potter fans mean something, but to most people don't mean anything at all. Um, this is like a, a small part of the canon of Harry Potter, but it's like the part that I care about the most. Mm-hmm. So I've read all of the books. I read them as they were coming out. I was a huge fan. I have a Deathly Hallows tattooed. Um, that I got in my ex-boyfriend's kitchen. It's <laughs> uh, very cool. Um, and I just like, it means a lot to me. I feel like as an adult, I can see, like as a writer, as a person who writes professionally, I can see like the parts of the those books that are not good and kind of fall apart. And in fact, I would recommend them to a child that's interested in reading them, but I don't think I would recommend them to an adult that hasn't read them. Yeah, so that's what I was asking yeah. you because... You know, you talk about Harry Potter a lot, and I have friends who are also super into it. So I always kind of go through this phase of like, should I read it now as an adult, like, or reread it, or just like watch the movies? But I also just feel like I don't know if it, I don't know, because it's written for kids, right? Yeah, like these are children's then, books, and I feel like also just now having been, I I feel like I appreciate the story less than like the setting, and I do like going to like Disney World because they was it Disney World or is it Universal one of those has it's, recreated the Harry Potter yeah uh, it's just literally land. Hogwarts yeah. and Hogsmeade and I want to go so badly I've had Butterbeer and it's oh my god it's a lot it's <laughs> I couldn't finish it it's too sweet but uh, I still really liked it and I, I liked walking through the streets and like you know there are places where you can buy the wands and I always kind oh of like god. that uh, that aspect of it just like kind of feeling like you're transported somewhere else and like getting yeah. ready for I feel like that that sense of like having to get ready for school is so evocative and something that I remember specifically from Harry Potter when he had to go buy all his yep. supplies and get ready. Yep. Yeah. So I mean I kind of feel the same way in which sort of the story of Harry and the Sacred Wizarding War and Voldemort is a lot less interesting to me than a lot of the small things that J.K. Rowling sets up and then never pays has payoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of those things is so what we know of James Potter uh, Harry's dad and Lily Evans is that when they first met, they hated each other a lot. Um, Lily was actually friends with Severus Snape. And then over time, you know, Severus called her a racial slur. And over time, Lily like went from not liking James at all to marrying him and having a child with him. And so that that transition from hating him to liking him is never really explained. And, and so is sort of the 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 rest of James's school days um are also sort of vaguely gestured towards but also not explained. So uh we know that him and his three friends Peter Pettigrew, 
uh, Sirius Black and Remus Lupin. They there's just something. Can I just interject really quickly? Yeah. There's something about Harry Potter names that is know, so like they're all so iconic. I just haven't I haven't even met these characters, and they already just sound like like you already interesting feel characters. like you have a sense of what they are like. Sirius mm-hmm. Black, that's like a punk rocker name, right? Mm-hmm. That is he. Sirius Black comes from a traditionally like Slytherin family, but he's a rebel. He's a Gryffindor, and he like runs away from home when he's sixteen. Uh, Remus Lupin is like an English teacher name and he is a professor against the defense against the dark arts later in, in the story and he is sort of like buttoned up tight and uh, a little high strung uh, and Peter Pettigrew sounds like a fucking nerd because he is <laughs> uh, and he's you know sort of like they're the one friend you have that you like but is a little simple mm. uh, and they are so tight though that like they um they make this map together, this incredible feat of magic that will show you where everyone is in Hogwarts Castle at any time at all. Like every student? Every single every single person. It sounds like too much information. How many yeah. students are in Hogwarts? Well, they do it to get away with pranks. So um, it's like one of those things that teenagers do that is like takes a lot of work, but like is to do something completely. Really stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like when I learned HTML to make a Sailor Moon fan site. I like taught myself how to make frames. Mm-hmm. It was insane. I taught myself how to big like make bitmap uh, maps so mm-hmm. that I could map links to certain parts of a picture, which is like not easy. So this is not nearly on the same level, but all I can think of right now is: Did you see that video where it's like the last day of class and the students like they're like on this stairwell and just suddenly just piles and piles of paper come like just. Drop, drop, just drop down, and they keep coming, and they keep coming. And I think it's the idea is that they're that everyone is throwing away their papers on the final day of class, but then the stairs just get overrun, and it looks like it's snow, and then all the students just start like sliding down the oh stairs, God. and it's just like they're just sliding down this like endless wave of literal pieces of, that's of paper. I love teenagers. I don't know why I thought of this, but that's just no. But that's <laughs> like, like another thing where they fi- like teenagers find out something interesting, and then they're like, "How can I fuck around with this?" Yes. Yeah. So it's just, yeah. I, I also just yeah. we cleaned that, but sorry, yeah. go, go ahead. Keep no, talking no, about Harry Potter. It's just sort of like um, so they also all become animagus, which means they can turn into animals because Remus is a werewolf and like once a month has to be locked up in a terrifying shack to so not. So you told anyone. me about that, but <laughs> wouldn't they be more vulnerable as animals? Like he's not like well, does he, he won't like be animals? able to pass on lycanthropy to him to them as animals. As animals, yeah. That's but he reasoning. might still fuck them up. He. Yeah, but it's better than their reasoning is we don't want our friend to just be alone because mm-hmm. they like are all best buds. I mean, you see, I, like, I, you, I, you see how you're aware people start thinking this might be more than friendship, right? Because that's like a big step to take for your buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, also just like the idea that J- Dumbledore can't think of anything better to do for Remus than just like putting him, in, locking him in yeah, an abandoned shack for a, like while there's a full moon. That's Out of ridiculous all possible me. things to do, they have endless magic, right? Like, they yeah. can make all sorts of shit happen, but... Yeah, just gonna lock this child up alone for a week. So I guess in the in this world, there's no cure for this? Yeah, you can take a wolfsbane patient, a potion that's developed later in Remus's life to sort of... You just turn into, like, a helpless wolf instead of a werewolf. Hmm. Um, you become cute? Yeah, you become, like, a little cute, once a little moon. cute dog once a month. <laughs> Sounds not that bad. It's basically J.K. Rowling has admitted this a very conscious and deliberate analogy for the stigma of living with AIDS, especially. Do you believe her when she's? I feel like people are always like, "This stands for this," and then it kind of like the whole controversy that's happening right now about like 
Dumbledore is supposed to be gay, but then like now they're doing movies in which he's younger, right? And he's not yeah. gay. So the thing about that that's fucked up is that um, the reason, the the thing that she said is he was gay and lovers with Grindelwald, who is a character in these movies. So people are like, if you're going to have these two characters on the screen, then you like have to at least acknowledge that they slept with each other and mm-hmm. had a romantic relationship. Like you can't just not do that. <laughs> Right, so I just, I can't tell when she says, like, this is, this means this very serious thing if she's just, like, saying that because she can say it now that, like, the books are done and, like, she can kind of, like, say it is whatever it is without having to do the work. The Dumbledore thing, absolutely, I feel like, was an ass pull. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel like maybe she did add that into the backstory, but I I wanted him to actually say I loved Grindelwald and have Mm -hmm. him... Have her explain it later. The um, analogy for the stigma of living with AIDS thing, I totally believe, though, because okay. it is very much like he has to keep it a secret from everyone. Um, people are afraid of him passing it on to the children and that he might be predatory towards the children. Is that actually possible? Like, or does he have to, like, be he, in wolf form? He would and, like, have to be in wolf someone? form, but, like, people okay. are still, like, they don't trust werewolves. Right, they don't trust right. werewolves around children. And when he is outed, he's fired from the school. Mm. So, like, that is something that absolutely, to me, feels like it was meant to draw parallels to something that at the time was a, a social problem. Mm-hmm. Like, when that was written in 2004, there was a lot less, there was still, was, the stigma was getting better, but there was still a lot of stigma towards people, adult people mm-hmm. living with AIDS, especially ones that had professions like being a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, but... So you see, like, these are all, like, little pieces where you can see why people started chipping serious Remus. Or, like, at least beginning to believe that Remus is maybe not, like, a straight guy. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, those the, the things that they hint towards in his backstory are so interesting to me, but she never actually writes them, writes about them at mm-hmm. all. And the stuff she does explain is, like, super boring. <laughs> like... Well, she like okay. So my favorite Harry Potter factoid that she's explained for absolutely no reason, and I don't know why we have to know this is because um, so wizards didn't have indoor plumbing or toilets for a very long time because whenever they would uh, poop or piss, they would just apparate the poop or piss away. What like they would teleport it somewhere else? Yeah. So they just didn't have toilets. So they would just piss and shit themselves all the time, and they didn't have toilets. But where where would it go? She didn't explain that part. Uh, so she just, just like, said, "Oh, wizards didn't have toilets for a long time. They would just shit themselves and like make their shit disappear." And I just like don't understand. There's just a place in the world that's just, just like, like full of wizard shit. <laughs> okay, or like they just send it to the moon or something. Yeah, send it into space. This is according to J.K. Rowling canon. This is like it's canon. You gotta think this they didn't woman. Have toilets. Uh, she hasn't worked on anything that's not Harry Potter since making Harry Potter, right? She wrote one non-Harry Potter book. Oh, she did? Okay. Yeah, just one. But I feel like the now she's back to writing. because the movies all the are, time. Yeah. yeah the, she's, those are her babies. The movies. Yeah. So you got to think this woman is, she lives her life. The bulk of her job is just thinking up new shit for this world. And like now yeah. she's like probably running out of things to like make up about it. She's like, how does the plumbing work? How does yeah. the... yeah. You know, it's it's really frustrating because she has created this world that does feel like really magical. Like the idea of getting like, you know, fitted for robes and like getting your, you know, the list of books. Because in every single book they have a, a they show you the letter of the books that they have to buy. Mm-hmm. And they have the most ridiculous titles and mm-hmm. they sound so interesting and you wanted to read them all. 
And just like you want to be in the world of Harry Potter. I want to be in the world of Harry Potter more than I actually want to read those books. Again. Yes. And yeah. yeah, that's totally what I feel. And it's interesting because that I've been to Scotland and J.K. Rowling is from Scotland. And you can definitely tell the influence because like everything looks like it's in Hogwarts. And what I also found interesting is that there's this, this sense because Scotland is a very old country, especially compared to a place like the U.S. that only has like a couple hundred years yeah, of, of history. Whereas I feel like you go to Scotland and like everywhere you turned, it's like there was a war here. This famous person died here. Or like there were a lot of spots specifically where it was like, we burned a thousand witches here. Now there's a plaque here. <laughs> it's like this is the, this is the hole in which uh, this entire giant clan died because someone put a rock over it. And like now there's a restaurant here. That's and amazing. And it's just like everywhere you go, it's just like all this like very evocative history. You kind of like I feel, uh, you know, Scotland is a place where a lot of stuff has happened. That's where the first clone was made. That's where a lot of other like scientific breakthroughs were made and I feel like to live there is to kind of have this sense of like history and greatness and so I can kind of see how like that fits with the whole Mm -hmm. magical world a because there were literal witches there and there's that entire like thing you know you think the stuff that happened in Salem here was like you know we that feels like such a interesting part in our time but like they literally like it was like an epidemic over there um where was I going with this? There's just this sense that, like, so much has happened. There's, like, just a, a, a sense of, like, secrecy that, like, you could be walking through uh, a cemetery and someone very important lies, lies there, you yeah. know, stuff like that. Yeah. That feels, like, significant and fascinating. Like, the world around you is just full it's magical. of... It's magical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... The thing about that is, like, that's what I think Rowling is best at. So, like, when you look at sort of the the vibe, the sort of vague outline of the story of Harry's parents, like, these four friends that are so fucking tight, and then, like, right, one of them is radicalized and ends up betraying their, his friends. Like, that sounds such, like such an interesting story. Mm-hmm. Like, what happened to Peter that he became turned to, you know, the Voldemort side, to the dark side, you know, became a Death Eater. Uh, what made him want resent his friends so much that that he was okay with giving them up to die? Do you think she never went into it because it's like going to be a future book, like the dark, <laughs> I don't know, the dark version of Harry Potter? Oh, uh, God. I mean, or do you think I don't she just want her to write it, though. Like, um, I, I don't know. I think she didn't write it because she just didn't feel like it. And at this point, I don't want her to write it because what she's writing right now is boring. <laughs> And like, what is okay? So I haven't watched the new movies, the Fantastic Beast movies. Is that not in the same around the same time frame? Or yeah, is that's that just in like the nineteen twenties. Oh, okay. And yeah. This is, so okay, the, the Harry before. Potter, James Potter was at Hogwarts in nineteen seventies, nineteen seventies. Yeah. So it's way, way, way earlier. Mm. So the Marauder era. I mean, I feel like the fandom has done a lot of work to sort of decide for themselves what it would be like to be at Hogwarts at that time Mm -hmm. especially because uh it's canon that Sirius was like really into muggled stuff and like hung up posters of muggle women and like got himself an enchanted motorcycle and listened to muggle records and like muggle rock records so he was a wizard hipster yeah he was a wizard hipster Hmm. (laughs) he was absolutely 100% a wizard hipster um and like that means that there was some cultural crossover of the 70s of England that we are familiar with. So you can sort of create like a better idea of like what it might have been to be at Hogwarts at the time. And we have like a pretty good understanding of because it's like 
the parents' generation of who was at Hogwarts at the time. So it was Narcissa and Lucius and like everybody's parents was probably there at the same like Frank Lombard, God, all the you know? names again. Just like Narcissa everyone, and Lucius. Yeah, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> yeah, Lucius Malfoy. Yeah, yeah, it, just all of them. The thing, like... They have such extra names. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> yeah, I, like, can't imagine if you go... Like, imagine just going to, like, Hogwarts and your name is, like, like George... <laughs> no, there is a George. It was George Weasley. That was the thing. Hmm. What if your name is just like John? You go, what up? My name yeah. is John. John Smith. John Smith here at Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> I'd read that book. Yeah. For John it. Smith, the muggle. God, that would be, I would absolutely read a book of like a muggle that isn't extraordinary. Is not extraordinary in any way. And it like gets married to a wizard, doesn't know that they're a wizard. And like, is that wizard is just trying to hide it from them the entire time? <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be a really good book. Because that apparently happens. Like people oh, stay really? like in the closet as wizards, and they marry. They marry and have families wow. with muggles, which sounds ridiculous. What? Especially because okay, when you go to Hogwarts, so many things about Harry Potter don't make any sense. When you go to Hogwarts, you don't learn things that other adults learn, like world history or math. Or... I guess you don't need to, because you like you can kind of bend reality to be what you want it to be. Yeah, right? I guess if you do magic, you don't need calculus. But like, it's you, you would like end up if you like return to Muggle society after Hogwarts. You won't and know you try how to, to get do a fucking shit. job. You don't know how to do shit. Yeah, you don't know how to do anything. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, there's nothing that they teach you that would prepare you for like a human, like a, a non wizarding job. Which I guess most people would want to remain just whole hog in the wizarding world. But like, what if you like want to hang out with your mom and like want to live with your mom and not have to like get a job in the wizarding world because your mom just, you know, she lives down the way. You know, she does. She can't. She can't handle that. So I've have you read or watched The Magicians, the show? Yeah, I've read the books. I haven't watched the show. I haven't read the books. I've only watched the show, which I hear are better than the books. But I don't actually know if that's true. But yeah, they they kind of go into this where it's like. At some point after, like, the very traumatic events of the first season, uh, what's-his-face, the protagonist goes back into the real world and he has to have, like, a normal job. And he's just, like, so depressed that he can't do magic anymore because, like, it's just, yeah, imagine being able to do anything and then going back to, like, an office job. Yeah, like, it would suck ass. Yeah. yeah. So, of course, eventually he goes back. Of course. Is, yeah. Yeah, Quentin sucks. <laughs> Quentin's a little piece of shit. I read the books. I like the books a lot. I understand why people don't like the books. I tried watching the first couple episodes of the show, but I felt like I, I hear it hits, it hits a sweet spot somewhere like halfway through the first season. Mm-hmm. But I got up to the episode where Quentin uh, has to sing a lot of Taylor Swift. Oh, my God. I was like, I just can't watch this. I can't do It can be really cheesy. I have like a low tolerance for cheesiness. But yeah, uh, yeah I think especially once it starts going into some of its female characters who are like super badasses. So if they develop wish, the female characters yes, more, then more. I am really into the idea of this show. They do, but then at some point, like you can kind of tell that this is being, that it was written by a dude at, at some yeah. point because it's like, I guess I won't spoil it, but the things that it does to the female characters are very like, really? Did you have to Did you have to do that? Yeah. yeah. That's in the books too, at least. Oh, okay. So it's not like it's coming from nowhere but the books are also like very you're very much inside of the brain of quentin who is like a really self-centered 
very mean person mm-hmm. who like really doesn't care about anyone but himself. And I think they make him slightly more likable in in the show than in the books. Yeah. But yeah, again, like I w- cared more about who he was dating or his his uh, best friend who was a girl. Yeah, because they're just they're just so much more interesting. Than Alice he is he, like, so great. Yeah, I love her. She's like basically what I wanted Hermione to be to yeah. some degree. Except you know, again, why did the things that they do with that character? It's like why? Yeah, there's something yeah. I really don't like about how people talk about Hermione Granger because it's so different from the Hermione that I read in the books. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like a part of what Hermione has to learn throughout the Harry Potter books is that she can know everything, but that doesn't mean that she can fix everything or that Mm -hmm. she's always right. In fact, a lot of times she's she's wrong, even though she has the actual factual knowledge of things Mm -hmm. or she can't follow through or she's she can't actually be everything at once. Mm-hmm. And in fact, her knowledge makes her like a really arrogant, really irritating person and she has to learn how to not be that so she doesn't mm-hmm. push everyone away in her life. No, I appreciate that. It's just yeah. more the frustration for me of, of thinking that like you can have someone like that who is like so immensely talented but it doesn't matter because someone else is already prophesized yeah. to be the... Yeah, like, that's really frustrating. So I like, I feel like... I mean, I, I wish that people would not valorize Hermione for being smarter than everyone and more criticize the idea that she was written as a side character rather than the rather than the protagonist. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like she has interesting enough flaws that she could have been the just the protagonist of this and then, you know Harry could have been her sidekick. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what are Harry's flaws? I feel like it's mostly just that he's a naive. Time, a big time fucking dumbass. Yeah. Like, he's really stupid. I mean, he's like, I mean, this is the problem with like Gryffindor. I mean, he has the flaws that Gryffindor house, which Gryffindors uh, act first and think later. They do not really, I don't really good at planning and they do things because they seem fun, mm. which is like not, not like the wisest thing to do most of the time. Uh, Gryffindors are people who like really like roller coasters and like really, really love uh, extreme sports. Like, they're the kind of people that want to go white, like, whitewater rafting. Mm-hmm. And, like, want you to go whitewater rafting and be really into it, too. And when you do it and you, it sucks, then they're like, didn't you love it? They, like, won't understand or accept the answer of, no, I didn't love it. Actually, it kind of sucked. I thought you were going to say that they, like, enjoy going on a roller coaster, but they, like, eat recently, ate re- recently and yeah. go on it and then throw up. But Yeah, they're like, like they're like uh, the Wild Boys. You know, remember that MTV show hmm. where it's just like Steve-O and Wee Man and like the other one and they would just like hang out around wild animals and like get fucking attacked by them all the time because they thought it was funny. <laughs> they're like, they're just like, all Gryffindors are members of Jackass. That's like, <laughs> what the fuck? I'm like the- not even joking though. Like, they do wild shit because they think it's funny. And like sometimes they do things that, that are actually courageous, but it's mostly because they they're, all... They're dumb as hell. They're all dumb as hell and like can't, don't have any kind of self-preservation instinct. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, that makes sense. Like when Harry goes into the... What is it when he's like goes into some sort of tournament that he's not supposed to be in? Oh, the Goblet of Fire. Yeah, yeah. and like you, it, he ends up winning it, but it's like... It's not because he was good. It's because it was rigged to be that way. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like an obvious trap. Yeah. But but he does it anyway. He does it. Does yeah. it anyway. Or when like, he, as an 11-year-old boy, sees that there's a troll in the dungeon and thinks, you know what? I can stop this troll. And then, But it always <laughs> kind of works out in his yeah. favor. Is the 
Uh, he's prophesied to. He's the chosen one. Yeah, he has the uh, the plot armor. Yeah, and he knows he has the plot armor. Is it? <laughs> it's just like it's. They're not good books, but that world is so. I would just. I would love it if there was like a BBC television show of like Harry James Potter at Hogwarts, like James and Lily's love story with mm-hmm. Sirius and Remus hanging out too. That's what I want. I like. I mean, that's why it makes theoretically makes the Fantastic Beast movies. So appealing is like. Have you have you watched? I know there's one, right? There's I haven't one. watched it yet because I yeah, I I'm afraid <laughs> to watch it. Is it supposed to be like more serious? Because all the trailers that I saw, kind of, it seemed like more of the same kind of like happy go lucky, but it like with a dark like undertone, a fun romp. Yeah, you know, it's just um, not. Don't have a huge amount of love for Eddie Redmayne, and I don't want to watch it and like it, and then feel like I have to watch the, the next, next one, one which yeah. has Johnny Depp What's in it. Yeah. yeah, I'm like not like. He's not only is he like a huge abusive asshole. He like is just the time of him being a good actor has long passed. He now gets his lines led to him, fed to him through an earpiece in his ear. Seriously. Like, you can tell he's asleep in every single role. And I don't know how he keeps getting jobs. Tim Especially... Burton. <sighs> Another he... man whose career should have ended a while ago. I, uh, their careers are inextricably linked now. So, yeah. Oh, Lord. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. I know you wanted to talk about Celeste because that's the thing that you're obsessed with right now. Yeah, so I'm playing Celeste, which is, it's basically a platformer by, I don't know if the entire team worked on Towerfall, but I know at least one of the people on the team uh, worked on Towerfall, which is like kind of this Smash Bros-like game. But this one is like, I'm going to call it a simple platformer in the sense that like, the movements that you can do are extremely simple. Like you can jump, you can dash, and you can grab onto stuff. But it does really interesting stuff within that. And it's it's one of those games where you die like dozens of dozens of times in a single room, like trying to get from point A to point B. And usually, uh, I I feel like I don't have the tolerance for those sorts of games. But this one feels a little different to me. Uh, and I kind of want to talk about why that is. Uh, so have you have you played this? I know I picked it's on up a little Switch. bit of Celeste um, because it came with such like lauded like such so many recommendations from my coworkers. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big platformer person, and I also like don't really like very punishing games. But mm-hmm. this one seemed a little different, and like I really liked the music and the art. The thing is, I'm just not that good at platformers, and there's a lot of really hard games that I like. But there's something about the way in which this is hard. Even though it's like different from a lot of a lot of very punishing platformers that mm-hmm. very some games similar to it, I just like bounced off of it. Like mm-hmm. I just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went in kind of expecting not to like it because I'm just I'm not a platformer person. Like I really enjoyed uh, Super Mario Mario Odyssey, but I felt like everyone kind of did. It's kind of yeah. designed really well, and it's yeah. not like not emblematic of like a lot of the things in the genre that become popular. Um, but what's interesting to me is that it feels like it, it's definitely designed to be extremely, like, hardcore, but they balance that out in, like, 
So you mentioned the music. The music is like really chill and like serene. It's like it reminds me a little bit of a Dust Force, except Dust Force. I feel like the the learning curve on that game goes is like extreme. And like even though it's like technically a chill game in which you're like cleaning leaves, like you can't enjoy that atmosphere because it's immediate. The like at least I maybe I suck, but I can get past like a like. After a couple of hours with it, I just got stuck and I couldn't make any progress. So, yeah. So it's kind of like it kind of has that chill atmosphere, but also it be- kind of begins. So this the story, in as much as there is a story, there's this girl who wants to climb a mountain. It's Celeste Mountain, and you don't know why at first. You just know that she has to do this for some reason, and it starts with her with her kind of stopping. And, like, just being, like, just breathe. You got to, like, you can do this. And she, like, kind of reassures herself. And then uh, kind of as you go along and and you face these roadblocks, you start to realize that this is a story about, like, kind of anxiety and and mental illness and dealing with that sort of stuff. Um, It becomes more overt because you, like, meet your shadow version or whatever and it can kill you and and all this other stuff. Um, But, like, framed in that way... uh, I feel like the story changes because it's I feel like a lot of difficult games kind of revel in the fact that they're going to put you through the grinder games like Super Meat Boy very literally like they're you know saws and stuff and you like just explode and there's blood everywhere and it kind of feels like it's like laughing at you a little bit and Mm -hmm. there are other games that don't do that that people say kind of respect you like Dark Souls I feel like um, maybe by no fault of the game itself but the community that springs around it the difficulty kind of feels like more like a gatekeepy thing like yeah if you consider yourself a real gamer you'll play this game and you'll like learn its its ticks and you'll like you'll tolerate the fact that it like kind of abuse because like i'll be honest uh a lot of time i you know i love games like bloodborne but a lot of times the deaths feel dumb like yeah. because you don't know that there's someone hiding behind the the I don't know, the door yeah. that they're going to like... They put an enemy in the corner that you can't yeah. see. So, of course, when you run past, you're going to get shot by them. You and know? like, you, okay, uh, I accept that uh, because you know because you know stuff like that can happen, you're supposed to kind of learn how to be more careful. But like outside of that context, it feels really mean. Mm-hmm. And I know, obviously, people are like, suck it up. Like, they're really well-designed games. I won't That's argue that. true. It's yeah. true. But I can also see how someone would be put off from that environment. Like it's yeah, not really, and that like, is absolutely one hundred percent why I don't play these kinds of games. It's because in my relaxing time, it's not like I don't want a challenge. Mm-hmm. I do like to be challenged. I play. I play Dwarf Fortress, right? Mm-hmm. I like. I love a challenge. Um, I love shit that's hard. I don't want to be laughed at, though. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to feel like uh, the thing I'm using to chill out with is something that is laughing at, like, finds it funny that I can't do it correctly. Mm -hmm. Or actively, you know, you'll have, like, teachers sometimes in school, I don't know if you had any teachers like this, that would, like, watch you fail at something and then be like, now you learned a lesson. I was uh, My reaction would always be like, you could have stopped this. (laughs) You had it within your power to stop this. Mm -hmm. Like... I know the lesson that's being taught here, it's just not a teaching style that I appreciate because mm-hmm. it makes me feel like I just, I'm not wanted. Mm-hmm. 
So they call these like massacre games, right? Like mm-hmm. masochistic games or whatever. And, you know, sometimes I'm in the mood for that. Like I'll, I played through, mo- I don't think I beat it, but I like got through like 95% of a Bloodborne and I really enjoyed it for what it was. But I don't always have the tolerance to go through that. But uh, I think the framework of this kind of being uh, told as a story about anxiety uh, means that when you fail, it's it doesn't quite feel like the game is laughing at you because it's also encouraging you. It's telling you, hey, you can do this. Mm-hmm. Hey, I believe in you. And like to the point that like it has uh, really extensive ac- accessibility options about like what you can change and like how many abilities you have and like how easily you can get through it. And also just um, there's like there's like different versions of the levels. Like if you can get like the B side in which it's like more difficult but I just feel like I feel like I get so much out of just playing the normal levels that I don't feel like I have to play the the rest of it to like feel like I'm a real Celeste player um but also it's just I don't know there's this this sense of sweetness because like you know when you get through the the big section like you call your mom or Mm -hmm. like uh there's this this part where you're like having an, an anxiety attack and you like call someone up and you like talk through it and I feel like it it kind of the reason that I appreciate this more even though ostensibly I'm like dying over and over and over again and like feeling frustration here and there is because I feel like it it mirrors what I have to go through when I'm like dealing with like my own mental health problems of like some of this stuff sucks like I keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again and it kind of does feel like I'm climbing this impossible mountain that keeps going and going but like uh, part of my being able to be well is to stop in the middle of that failure and like remind myself that like I'm not a piece of shit just because I'm having a hard time right now like uh, that I can do this that if I believe in myself that this is like it it kind of feels like this weird sense of empowerment not like that I'm destroying myself just to like prove that I'm like a really good gamer or whatever Mm -hmm. it feels like it has this inherent sense of worth that like if you put the time in you will persevere and the perseverance is more than just like a number or like an achievement that it like means something to her because there's like a line in which she says she's like talking to her shadow self and the shadow self is like why are you doing this you know that this isn't you that like isn't it easier for you to just like not try to climb this mountain like you aren't made for this you can't actually do this and she's like I know you can't understand this but it's important to me that I climb this mountain it's like this really understated moment where it's like it's I don't know it's like her fight with depression basically it seems like that's like it's trying to tear her down yeah yeah Yeah, you know I, I the way that I try to deal with my own depression is to whenever I have thoughts of like extreme worthlessness to understand that that's not actually my thought. That's like the disease, like the actual disease talking. Like those mm-hmm. aren't thoughts that would occur to me naturally. Mm-hmm. That isn't actually how I think about myself. Mm-hmm. I just have a chemical imbalance in my brain that sometimes makes me think these things. Mm-hmm. And when I do that, it's so much easier. My therapist actually told me to do the thing that Celeste does in this game, which is to talk out loud to yourself mm-hmm. and say, hey, Gita, don't say that kind of thing to yourself. Mm-hmm. Like it's not okay. That's not how you feel and you are better than that. Mm-hmm. And it does help. And it it does, it that is like a very true to life sort of example of like the thing that you have to do in order to get through the day sometimes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and there's just something about it. Maybe it just it's speaking to me more right now because I'm like kind of undergoing this entire thing. Like I've been running every other day for like a few months now and like I hate running. Like it's always this thing that makes me feel like if I internally feel like a piece of shit, I feel like running externalizes that so my entire body feels it because I'm mm. like not necessarily good at it but I have to do it because I like playing soccer and I get a lot out of playing soccer and being able to play soccer means being able to run yeah so I've been running every other day and like when I'm going through it I'm always like oh my god I'm going to die this is hell I can't believe that I'm doing this this is the thoughts that are going through my mind are just like so bleak and I like I just I'm literally like I want to die while I'm doing it but then afterwards I'm like I'm really glad that I did this. Holy shit, I feel really good. And mm-hmm. this is kind of the sense of like that I'm making that progression of being able to run more, being able to last more on the treadmill, of being able to like go out into the field and, and like not feel like I'm out of breath also just kind of feels like the slow, very like grind of like getting better and failing and like kind of persevering and like having that strength to like keep going even though it really sucks to do. And I feel like this yeah. game kind of captures that feeling of like you have this impossible task and like everyone is telling you that you can't do it. And it would be much easier if you just didn't even try, but you're going to do it anyway because there's just something in you that's like, yeah. I got to climb this mountain. It's important that I climb this mountain. I think I remember a while ago I was talking to people about Dark Souls, people that liked it and didn't like it. And like one of the arguments against the Dark Souls series, all the Souls games was that, yeah, these games are very effective at teaching you how to play them, but what else do they teach you other than learning how to play Dark Souls? Mm -hmm. And I am sure people that play Dark Souls can also extrapolate the same lessons about perseverance Mm -hmm. and being able to do things if you work hard enough at them. But the framing of Celeste makes that so much more clear. Mm -hmm. Like, if you can get through this very hard platforming game, you can apply those same principles of believing in yourself and you know fighting against the shadow self I think also or the thoughts that tell you that you can't do it part of and i haven't really played dark souls as much as i've played bloodborne but i think there's a difference in that in bloodborne there's always this ambiguity of like you don't know that you're doing the right thing you don't know quite why you're there there's kind of this tone of like there's something nefarious going on and you might be the bad guy to some degree Mm -hmm. um whereas with celeste it's very clear that like when you do this really like tough thing and you climb a little higher it means a lot to this girl it's not like Mm -hmm. you are the hero um but yeah it's just it's interesting to see like why people take on these like really uh impossible challenges i think about this a lot now because there's there's both this game and there's also dragon ball fighter z which is a fighting game and I feel like I haven't been able to get into a fighting game in a long while because the the skill that it requires, I feel like, is very different from yeah. learning how to play a game because there's just so much discipline and, like, learning the precise inputs and the precise, like, situation in which you would use it. And I just, I don't have the patience, but I recognize that it's, like, also a, a specific sort of challenge that, like, people seek out for for re- like it it kind of has this uh, this whole like sense of like self-improvement right like yeah. i feel like there's a lot of uh overlap between people who like like to work out or like are like like life hacks and like do these very difficult things uh and people who like want to become good at fighting games 
Yeah, the one person I know that was really good at fighting games, my ex-boyfriend, who um, I think now must have completed his postdoc at Oxford. Mm -hmm. So he loves doing hard things. (laughs) He loves them. Um, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I I haven't played. D- I've heard actually, it's pre- It's not Fighter Z. It's apparently Fighters. Fighters, which yeah. is the oh, dumbest God. thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Come on, sure. You put uh, a capital Z at the end of something. It's Fighter Z. I'm sorry. Yeah, because there's an S and a Z, right? That's so stupid. It's so dumb. Video games. I don't know. Video games. Watch underscore dogs. Oh my God! Don't you remind me? Of, like, they removed the underscore for this for the sequel, right? I think they did. Did they? I don't know. I don't know. I hope they did. <laughs> These are better than that. Um, yeah, I haven't played Dragon Ball Fighters, but I I feel like it's the same impetus. Like a lot of people are saying, oh, it's balanced for people that haven't played fighting games before. But then also, there's still same, a huge. Uh, the same people are saying, like, but there's a high ceiling. So, like, there's always a chance to improve. And mm-hmm. it's that same sort of spirit of just like, yeah, you start off little and then you can pull off some really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. And maybe through this game, you'll get into like more fighting games, mm-hmm. which it's really cool to see fighting game people in the fighting game community like explicitly say that. Like, if you can get into this, like that means you can learn how to play other fighting games. Right. If you've never played one before, which is a, a very different from the sort of sometimes, you know, exclusive environment of people who are very, very good at fighting games. They want to play with other people who are very, very good at fighting games exclusively. And I understand that, but it's also yeah, like, you know. Th- that feels like an interesting community to me in that, like, there's a sense that because it's so niche that, like, uh, also can also feel gatekeepy because, like, you can't kind of casually participate. Like, no. You're you in ha- or you're out. Yeah. yeah. And, but, but also, at the same time, uh, I think people in the fighting game community would argue that they're very welcoming and that like when people look for advice, like people are always just kind of hopping into your mentions and being like, have you checked out this resource? Like you should do this. And like, just kind of trying to like hold your hand through like learning this stuff. Uh, I think we wrote a piece about how it was good for beginners. And there was like this guy that was like, that posted this screenshot of like these very complex moves that you can do. And someone's like, I don't even understand the like very basic, like one, this, it, there was like yeah. a thing where it was like the numbers in like the different directions that you can do. And it's like, I don't, that's like the basis of the entire thing, but I don't even understand what that means. And he like walked him through every single step. And it's like, this is what the fighting game community is. Like, we'll tell, like, if you're down to put the time in, a lot of people are willing to help you. But I also just don't know that I have the patience no, for that I know anymore. That I, I don't like. have the patience. I, I've learned a lot of things. <laughs> You know, I, I, it's weird. It's weird for me, like, what I will put my time into learning how to do. Like, Dwarf Fortress is not an easy, easy game to understand how to just play. Like, not mm-hmm. not play well. Just how to play the game so that not everyone immediately dies. Or you can look at areas of the map that you want to be looking at because that is also really hard to mm-hmm. do. Um, be looking in the spot where you want to be looking. Mm-hmm. Or to keep track of all your resources at once, which is also very difficult to do just to like figure out where those numbers are located. Mm-hmm. But I'll put in the time to do to learn that insane control scheme, which 
If you don't know, um, one of the things about Dwarf Fortress is that it's mostly keyboard commands uh, and keyboard shortcuts. So, but all these keyboard shortcuts are case sensitive. So capital I does something different from lowercase i, which is the the stupidest, the stupidest way to have any kind of control scheme ever. It doesn't make any sense. I love this game so much. <laughs> and, or just like I've tried the new Oxygen Not Included uh, update recently and that game is fun as heck, but there's so many things you have to keep track of. And I'm just like, I've been it's thinking- like Stress Simulator. I love it though. Like I, I, I love being stressed. Gita Jackson, 2018. <laughs> I mean, traditionally speaking, that if you look at like the amount of work I give myself, that's true. <laughs> uh, but it's it's not just about stress. It's about coming out the other side. Like once I figure out how I haven't played this game in months, so I need to reteach myself how to make sure all of the duplicates in my base have enough oxygen. Mm-hmm. That's goal number one. And once I do that. I'm going to feel so accomplished. It's I feel like the same thing that so like I I feel like that's the same thing that Celeste is sort of trying to show you is that after you meet a major goal, milestone, you feel good. Mm-hmm. And continuing to reach those also feels good. And I think you know the games that I like that are really really hard don't necessarily frame it in that way. It's more like, you know, the something I learned from Dwarf Fortress and Romworld and Oxygen Not Included is not it's cool to reach major milestones, but when you fail at things, it's fine. You can just try again immediately. And that's one thing I did really like about Celeste. It doesn't point and laugh at you when you fail. There's no explosion of blood. She doesn't even like look injured when she fails. She just disappears into a ball of light and then yeah. you start again at the start. Like immediately. It's it's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Um but like it's it's sort of more highlighted in stuff like Rimworld or um, Dwarf Fortress or Oxygen Not Included, where you can go back and look at the exact thing you forgot to do and be like, so oh, okay. I've never really gotten into these games, but my sense from the outside looking in is that you play these knowing that you will eventually fail, and yeah. it's like all about just kind of like having fun along the way. Like, it's, yeah, it's about. How far can I get this time? Mm-hmm. Like um, with Dwarf Fortress, my goal is always once I've got a working base that's basically balanced, I'm like, okay, well, next thing I want to do is start a candle industry. So what do I need to have in order to start making candles? I need to make figure out how to make wax, et cetera, et cetera. And I need mm-hmm. to train some dwarves to be proficient in this new skill. Mm-hmm. And that always seems really fun. And especially like in the middle of that, you have to like make sure you're defending your base from like monsters and shit. And I I always like the idea. It's, it's sort of like once I've figured out the steps to getting to, yeah, having a glass making industry and a candle industry, then I can go from there into like more and more expansive stuff. Mm-hmm. And eventually there's no winning. You're going to get to a, a state when you are just not able to make your base like survivable. If maybe it's just because the frame rate has dropped <laughs> so much because there's so much shit in the game. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's because you've drilled far enough down that you've reached like a mega beast and your army is not equipped to deal with that. I didn't all. even know these games had mega beasts. Yo, they got randomly generated mega beasts and the descriptions of them. Sometimes they're giant, you know, giant sentient clouds of gas. Can you poison. befriend them? Sometimes you can you can't befriend them, but sometimes you can trap them. And then mm-hmm. you can use them, you can put them in a cage at the front of your base. So any goblin armies that are trying to defeat you will be first destroyed by the mega beast. <laughs> 
So like that's always a goal. That's something I want to learn how to do. I haven't done that yet. Um, but I definitely want to try capturing a mega beast and putting it. See, I was hoping that you, that like you can encounter a mega beast and it would just have this like long convoluted history because it's lived so long. It will though. Oh, it will. Yeah, if you go into legends mode, you can read about the things that it's done and like oh, really. The, uh, yeah, seriously. <laughs> I love Dwarf Fortress so much. Yeah, it will have had its own history. Like what, for example? Have you, have you um, seen this I've definitely gone into Legends mode and seen that a different um, fortress has mined down to the Mega Beast like a hundred years prior. And they've um, been completely destroyed by it. And now the fortress that is above this Mega Beast, Mega Beast lair, is just filled with the bodies of dead dwarves. <laughs> It's so incredible. do these things just live underground and they... Yeah, they respond underground in certain places. Um, but they never just come up? No. They will come up if they're provoked. So if you send a dwarf down there, for basically any reason, the mega beast will consider itself provoked. Mm-hmm. And then it'll come for you. Uh, it's coming. <laughs> and you have to just... Do you ever have these moments? It's just like, shit. I've <laughs> absolutely gone, like, gotten very, like, down in the, like... Down around the place where you can start seeing tiles that are next to magma and all that stuff and been like, do I want to go further down? (laughs) Is that like in my best interest to continue going down? Because I don't know. Is there stuff down there that... Yeah, valuable ores and gems. Like you have to keep going down in order to have like a good sort of cross section of all the the things you can use for materials. Mm -hmm. Um, It's... is again like in your best interest to keep going down. Once you go down far enough, you will reach the uh, most valuable uh, ore. But if you, so the thing about that though is it spawns in hollow circles, and if you drill it into it in the wrong place, you will actually fall into hell. Um, of course. And in hell, there are demons and angels that all want to kill you. And do those have histories? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everything has a randomly generated history. It's great. Did you read the post I did about the the loneliest necromancer? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. So what is the... Is, are the angels and demons, are they just also enemies? That are, are yeah, I think those are all... At this point, those are just also enemies. I, I The game is still in development. It hasn't even reached an alpha. So, oh, like, it's, it's, it's still in development. We're still working on what the backstory of that is. But I know that the angels are more like the biblical seven-winged angels than they are the, like, friendly, nice angels. Mm. So... Yeah, like the ones in Persona that are, like, literally kind of no different than... Because they have this... At least in Persona, they have this, like, sense of justice that is, like, extreme. Yeah. That they're just... They just kill everyone because, like, no one's, like, good enough or whatever. Yeah, God. Reading... Not necessarily playing the uh, old Shin Megami Tensei games, but reading the summaries of what... Um, their depiction of like what God and angels are—it's totally, it's totally wild. wild. It's so wild. But I mean, you look at the Bible, and it's like, yeah, I guess a lot of the Old stuff Testament is very God extreme. was yeah. like not not a chill dude. <laughs> was like yeah, not it very just, nice. but it also just frustrates me because I feel like a lot of the times when I play those games, I'm like, I'm playing as I want to be good. I want to make the good choices, but like according to this fucking God, yeah. like saving everyone is not is like n- not neutral enough. Which is the like yeah. true one or whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, you wanna defy God, but the character that wants to defy God is Satan. And Satan also just wants to create anarchy and misery. Right. And it's 
I okay. I love these games, but I they I feel like their sense of morality is like all whack. But like of of course, I guess that makes it, it its own compelling case because then it's like there's no right answers. There's just kind of like varying degrees of shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this is most interesting in Nocturne, the Shimigami Tensei Three, mm-hmm. where the characters, the side characters in your game, they're all trying to create a new world based off a like founding principle, and all of these worlds. Uh, eliminate I mean, that's a really problem the, that this... exists in our world, but they are all shit in different ways. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's always the thing, right? Where it's like, I believe in blah, and it's like one rule. Yeah. And it's always, again, just so extreme or just like so flat that you're just like, really? That's that's the specific thing that you, you don't believe anything? There's yeah. no like nuance to this yeah. or anything? Yeah, one of the like... characters believes in survival of the fittest, like no shit. One of them believes that everyone should have their own planet all to themselves so that nobody can like harass anyone else. One of them believes that all people should, you know, let down all boundaries so that we are all actually one organism. And like the the true ending of the game is just uh, make it back to the regular world. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny how often that's like the and it's always the hardest, hardest ending. Yeah. yeah. To just make things as they were before. Yeah. God. Talk about hard ass games. Have you ever played a Persona game and you like enter a dungeon and you get one shot KO'd on like the first enemy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- it used to be way worse than it is now. Like yeah. now it doesn't happen as much, but like I distinctly remember playing Persona Three and just dying left and right because I just happened to like pain in the ass. Yeah, I've you know there are always these rumors that they're going to remake three and four and like as much as i love those games i don't know that i want to go back and play them unless they like unless update they them persona to... five of those dungeons yeah. because i like i love persona three and i would love to play it again but the thing i don't want to do is that go music through man yeah yeah it's so good i'm yeah. like it's kind of mad that they don't sell the soundtrack on its own yeah i, w- I want to God, have that three's music for me, I know everyone really loves Persona 4 soundtrack, but like I really like Persona 3's battle music like a it's, lot. It's like, iconic. A lot yeah. It's, it's so probably good. the best battle music in the Persona series, I would say anyway. Yeah. Baby baby. Baby 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 baby. <laughs> I just, oh, just like so felt good. God, the PSP remake of those games are really good. Also cuz you get to play as a girl and you can Why date they brought Ahihiko. that back? What I the know. fuck? I know. Like imagine playing as a girl protagonist in 4 or 5. It'd be so good. It'd be so good. Imagine dating fuck, I forget his name, the art art boy. No, Yusuke. Yusuke, oh, yeah. man. That would be great. If he <laughs> has to be straight, then I want to date him. <laughs> um, god, or in I just feel like there's such a missed opportunity. It's just a missed opportunity, but it must have been a lot of work to do that PSP remake with a, a, a entirely separate route and all these different social links. Yeah, but also Atlas re-releases a lot of shit all the time. I think That's they're true. doing fine, and especially this latest Persona, I think, is outsold the other ones. Yeah. They're doing. They, they can put they, they put some the effort into. Yeah, give the girls what they want. Yeah, come on, man. Like the minute I figured out that I could play three and date akihiko i was immediately bought it i bought a psp and that game and that's the only thing i use that psp for sounds about right yeah i mean the bulk of what people talk about in these games anyway is like who am i gonna date why not give people more options of people to date yeah i mean that is literally how i feel so i would play that game literally i would buy that game again and play it again if i could play as a girl which one five five and three four and five for sure 
Yeah, both of them. Absolutely. <laughs> Man, One day. just thinking. What if you had like a really fucked up route with a dachi? Like, wouldn't that oh be my great? God. Wouldn't that be amazing? I feel like Amanda Cosmos would lose it. <laughs> Uh, one of my friends who may be listening to this right now told me that she met her partner uh, at a a dachi dojima like role playing group. Are you fucking serious? Yeah, they've been together for eight years. Have you? They're oh, amazing. they're not together anymore. They have been together for eight, eight, oh, eight years. Oh, they have been. Yeah. What the fuck? You, have you told Amanda about this? Amanda is one of our friends who is like obsessed with yeah. the, I guess, bad boys, but uh, specifically a dachi. Yeah, I haven't told Amanda yet because I think she's gonna die. But. <laughs> <laughs> are these people in New York? Yeah, I think they. I'm gonna. Why I'm setting up. A, I'm setting up a friend date. I'm setting up a friend date. I, we have to hang out because I feel like Amanda's gonna lose her mind <laughs> when she finds us out. <laughs> oh man, I think there's just. I kind of like that culture of like people who purposefully like the bad end or like the villain, and yeah. I feel like there's just all this quotas, yeah, coded I mean, clearness to it. A especially lot of the time. in Five, like what is his name? Uh, the the guy with the the plague mask. Oh yeah, yeah. The detective prince. Yeah. I'm sorry, I've forgotten like almost all their names. Even though this is one of my favorite games of last yeah, year. Yeah, I still like sing all the songs to myself. You know, I like Alex Navarro tweeted the other day, like last week. He was tweeting, um, "Someone drove past my apartment, was playing uh, Last Surprise, and I ran <laughs> all the way to the other side to open a window and yell out, Fuck yeah!'" <laughs> <laughs> and that's just how I feel about that game. When I encounter so, anything about it. I don't know how to drive, but I feel like one of the reasons that I would learn how to drive, aside from the utility, is just to be able to blast completely nerd-ass songs, yeah. just like I'm playing the Persona theme song or whatever while like going down Brooklyn or something. Yeah. Um, one of the things I've seen, I'll send this to you, I got trapped in a sort of meme rabbit hole on YouTube and someone synced up the opening scene from Baby Driver with uh, Last Surprise, <laughs> and it actually syncs up really, really I well. I believe it. Yeah, and that uh, is a matchup I didn't really know I needed. It's great. It's really, really good. <laughs> that is it for us this week. Um, we would like to thank Mondo Namofidi, the executive director of audio. Uh, Levi Sharp, he's in the booth watching as record stuff who gave me the horns when he heard that I had a Harry Potter tattoo. Um, and uh, Stuart Wood, who does the music for commercials, as well as Mellow Makes, who does our soundtrack. If you want to talk to us, you can send us an email at favethis at kotaku.com or tweet at either us with the hashtag favethis. So I'm Gita Jackson. She's Patricia Hernandez. Um, you can find our work on kotaku.com. And uh, thanks for listening. See you next week. Thank you.